0: and good everybody what's up it's Robert. welcome to Robert live another day uh, and you've got two kiwis which aren't even in New Zealand and we're going to be talking to you today uh very happy to have on the show ladies and gentlemen bring to you Victor Vito get mate
1: get mate
0: how are we mate we're just talking to you we're a couple minutes late because so we got we got you got dad duties Dadgy, three uh, under five.
1: It wasn't even I wasn't even technically savvy enough to know that I, my wife didn't have Chrome on the laptop. That's, uh, that's how much <laughs> I used to think. But it's good to be here, man. Good to see you.
0: Yeah, bro. You too, man. Um, we haven't probably met before, but I think we'd, we've got a few mutual friends and we, we had a, um, a little online sort of zooie uh, a while back. Whereabouts hmm. in the world are you right now?
1: Right now I'm in France, uh, in a town called La Rochelle, so I'm playing rugby out of here in the top 14. Um, so you yeah, were are on the west coast, just above Bordeaux, just above wine, wine country. So yeah, I'm pretty well placed at the moment, but um, obviously with COVID and that, uh, probably not too well placed.
0: <laughs> well, is it, um, years ago in my snowboard world, I flew into Lyon and I went down to a smaller spot called Grenoble and then down to Les du Alps. You're in wine country, that's, that's probably quite far away from like grenoble or any of that stuff or yes
1: grenoble's further south and inland whereas i'm um uh further up the west coast um so two hours north of northwest of bordeaux um yeah nice so paris is like northeast of bordeaux and we're kind of northwest right on the coast so yeah that's where i'm at the moment been here for the last four years
0: damn it's because how old are you now
1: i am now 33 i sometimes forget man because the time just i'm like keep saying the same 31 31 i'm like i'm 33 now
0: (laughs) So, what's the so when you um so you left New Zealand what a couple of years ago for that? So, was what type of contract was it like so two plus two or how do they sort of structure it to, to do those euro deals?
1: Um, so I left uh, in 2016 just after the Hurricanes won the Super Rugby Comp. Um, I left straight away, I had to get it in there, eh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I left Troy in 2016, came here and had a three year deal. So, um, oh, I you. had a three year deal. No plus ones or anything, straight three years, and then um, two years into my contract, they wanted to extend that for another two plus one, um, and I nice. managed to get a get a three year deal, which um, you know, at my age now, um, I've done pretty well, so I've got another yeah. couple of years left.
0: So I'm. Um, I always have to tell those that I know that are in sports I know nothing about. I played one day of rugby when I was five. I don't okay. actually even know what position you did. I don't know what any of the numbers mean. All I know is that when I meet good humans, I like to talk good shit. So I will not be asking you absolutely anything about rugby because I don't know shit. So how about- That, we, so that that's hopefully, me, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Okay, <laughs> we'll maybe the I'll say this
0: way. Do you get sick of everyone relating you to what you do, not who you are?
1: <laughs> man, uh, yeah, big time. I mean, um, it's probably more so now that I've got kids and little bit older as well um you know I think the ego has drawn away a lot from uh what what I used to do you know uh, especially being out of New Zealand I think um yes New Zealand's such a bubble man um and the all blacks and everything and, and that's good and well but um you know once I come here I think um more especially because it's a small town and everyone knows rugby. Be, but because they see me with my kids and it's a lot less serious and it's a small it's not Paris you know it's not Bordeaux it's um a small town that appreciates you probably more than just a rugby player but I do still get it every now and then, and I can't, you know, I can't hate hate on that.
0: Well, you always think of, like, net-net, the upside that you get from the talents that you've got to be able to do what you do. Um, it's a very small price to pay for asking the same question time and time and time and time and time and time again. So for those who don't know, or I don't know, what position do you play in the old egg ball? What's your what's your, what's your thing?
1: Um, so I'm uh, number eight, which is like a loose forward, the guy that's um, not really doing much pushing at the back of the scrum, you know, that thing that when they get together, <laughs> yeah. the big boys... So I'm at the Got back it. of that, or at the side of it, um, if I'm still fast enough to try to catch those backs. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a loose forward. Um, I've been there for a long time, but I'm slowly making my way into the middle because I'm getting a little bit older, a little bit slower. So, <laughs>
0: so you're a bit smarter.
1: Like regression.
0: So what years were you uh, with the All Blacks?
1: I was with the All Blacks from 2010, my first year, to 2015. So I was lucky enough oh, wow. to be involved in the two World Cups um, that, we, that we won, so that was
0: me. Yeah, cool, man. We've obviously got a few mutual uh, friends that have sort of gone in that world. Um, I was going to maybe k- kick off with this. Do you feel like a fish out of water looking the way you do in a town that doesn't usually look the way you look?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, you're right, man. Um, yeah, I do. I do um, big time just because, you're am one boy here in uh, little La Rochelle. Um, it's pretty yeah. obvious uh, that I'm a rugby player, you know, that you, that you can't. A lot of people come sometimes, they're like, Oh, do you play rugby? I'm like, nah no, nah, I play soccer. And they're like, do oh, be quiet. I'm like, oh so you already knew. And then, yeah, you know, it's just just to play around with it. But yeah, it's I'm a Samoan boy over here and there's a few of us now where the only thing is um they all play rugby. So
0: Yeah, got it. Um and the, the the main bit for that, I'm guessing is it um I think was it about maybe who was the first was it Dan Carter who kinda did the first big deal to go to Europe to play after the Blacks, or was there a few crew before him? Because it feels like they had they they a ceiling with NZ, and then, then the, those global sort of deals really seemed to do it, or Japan kind of seemed like it made a play to start with. How has it morphed, or the game changed in terms of the local talent actually going global? Like, how has that whole thing been?
1: I think uh, the, the first guys to have done it were guys like Dan, but there was also Cole Heyman, who was a pretty solid All Black, a big prop, uh, a big tall dude, big burly guy who... Um, was going to be an All Black, but they decided to say no, and he left to come over to Toulon, one of the massive clubs over here, just for big money. And from then on, man, it just kind of snowballed, and it was mainly the big stars that were coming over. But then, um, you know, they paved the way for the rest of the guys, like I guess, like myself, to just come and uh, try and play a trade and get those other little crime contracts, I guess, on the side. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, but so so on that right, I know you know when you're when you're young, but growing up in New Zealand. Um, you know, you see the All Blacks, you do that, and and I've kind of, I always think about it, say a bit differently. You know, you've you are you've got, um, you know, three kids under five now. Your perspective starts to change. You get a bit older. Is as a player that chooses to leave New Zealand to go global, is there a kind of a phases of? I, I did I, I did the New Zealand thing for my nation, for my country, for an All Black because I'm Kiwi, and then the next phase is I need to do this next bit for my whānau for legacy for longevity and and it's not necessarily the chase the money thing but in in certain ways there's very clear commercial outcomes that are happening to, to sort of make moves at, at stages in career. how was your headspace going from doing this for my country for was it doing it for the country for doing it for whanau or talk me through just the headspace of deciding to you know someone boy rolling up to france you know it's not like a normal thing how was how was how that
1: Um, I think I I got to a really good place um, when I made my decision to leave Um, I'd signed just before I made the World Cup in 2015 Um, So I didn't know whether I was gonna be able to have a good swan song or whatever, but um, you know um, I decided that I had my time in the All Blacks and there was always gonna be And I wasn't you know, I wasn't a regular starter, you know, so I wasn't really nailing my spot So if you're if you're a sub guy you can always be replaced the next year because we just got that much talent and that was, for me, you know what, I'm always going to push myself, but I was realistic too. So I was like, you know what, my family's just, just uh, my, my son was just born. Um, I had a chance to go overseas when I got the offer and I thought, you know, why not? You know, I if I'm lucky enough to be in the World Cup and I've got one more season with the Canes, um, I can leave happy. Um, and luckily, you know, I had legends like Richard McCall and that I managed to be in the team when, you know, they won the World Cup in 2015 and then in 2016, the Hurricanes won. Like, I had nothing um, left. Uh, it's like the
0: boxes yeah.
1: Man, I, I I was really complete, you know, uh, with my junior New Zealand, and it helped me move on uh, to you know to forge a future, I guess, for well, not just my my wife and my immediate family, but my mum, my dad, mm. um, my cousins, and that. Um, it was a, it was a no-brainer. But along with that, I, I think um, I'd already faced not going too far out, you know, just for saying it's for everyone else. Like it's, um, mm. I've kind of been able to set some good boundaries with my family, which made me a lot more comfortable to um to come out here and feel comfortable giving back the way I needed to.
0: What's the average contract for the level that you're playing overseas compared to New Zealand? Is it like two x, three x, ten x, depending on how much of a superstar you are? Like, is it that substantial of a, of of deals? I think
1: so. There's there's quite a few things, right? That um, that make boys look at coming to France. I mean, generally two x, I would say. Okay. Generally two x, but then. Um, you're not spent like if you're in all, like things like not spending uh, nights away from family. Um, like we used to go away for like two, three weeks, sometimes the end of year towards five weeks at a time. Um and when you got a young family, you know, um that just started for me that journey. Um, you know, mm-hmm. one night away or yeah, you know, one night away uh for a game and come back, that's that's nothing compared to what we were, what we were doing. So all these sorts of things come into play. And then even the retirement packages, you know, you finish up here you've got this thing called Shamash where, you know, you're actively looking for a job, so to speak, but you know, you can be getting paid up to, up to six grand a month for friggin' just going around and trying to, you know, get interviews and whatnot. So you, it's 6,000 euro a month, which is pretty, pretty crazy, you know?
0: It's a six figure salary for it. Yeah. yeah. It, I, I always, I'm always intrigued with the the headspace of how, talent transitions for things greater than itself or for those after with how you need to navigate those especially when there's, there's that pull of not localism and and love for the nation but at the same time you you know to your point you know when you're starting to see life a bit differently with the apex of of where your talents are for you know you've kind of like just knocked shit out of the park you like world cup bomb done hurricanes bomb done you know it's just like mm-hmm. so it's good timing to do what do you what do you miss the most about um the culture of rugby between New Zealand and France, like what's the vibe like in terms of like y- you get on a plane, you roll over or oh, I'm here boys, <laughs> like uh, yeah, how, I, how different is it?
1: <laughs> I probably miss, um you know, cause I'm a Kiwi lad, you know, so the tribalism and how much it means to me from all the way when I was young watching like a Wellington play Canterbury or Auckland or those sorts of big games. Um you know that that was massive for me and every game was it was so so cool to go away and beat someone that they're on their own on their own turf you know Mm. um whereas here like when i first got here um there were big games you know for the local lads because they knew all the rivalries all the histories whereas for me i was just like all right i'm just going to a place like grenoble or Brive. i've never even really heard of but yeah okay um but what was more different was when we went away to those places um the french mentality at the time was um Win at home, but we can lose away, which really frustrated me quite a bit because um you know come from New Zealand where we just we don't want to lose any time, let alone at yeah, home no. away. So um, I think just because of the way the competition was structured, it was so long. Like we have um so it's top fourteen teams in the top fourteen. You have twenty six games in a round robin. Uh, oh, we have the 13 games away. And then there's 30-odd so games, and then plus you add on the Champions Cup game. So it's you can be playing a lot of games. So they, the way the match used to work, if you could win your home games and a few away games, you'd be in the top six. Uh, whereas now there's so many good teams, um, it's, uh, yeah, it doesn't work like that anymore. So I'm glad the mentality has mm-hmm. changed because um, when I first got here, I found it really frustrating that guys all of a sudden be injured yes. on the Monday. You know, when they got an away game, they're like, oh, my And you're like, mate, you were bloody partying. I said, you're all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting, eh? Mindset of, of of the way competitions are structured for that. I mean, it depends a lot as well. I mean, you look at the NBA with their sort of long seasons. Baseball does the same thing, the way they sort of, you know, load management and all the rest of it. Um, when, you fir- <laughs> when you first got there, the, when the first sort of crew from like New Zealand and Samoans and Tongans and Fijians or whatever start rolling over, was there like localised beef that it felt like those teams were cheating because they were bringing in the imports who were just stuffing dudes up? What was the... Was there like public beef because they thought you got like somewhere sort of stacking the deck? Um,
1: You know, the thing is maybe nationally there's their beef, but um, man, I don't keep up with enough, enough French news or whatever to, in terms of rugby news it's, uh, to, to really feel it. But here locally, man, we don't, we don't feel it. We've, we've been pretty welcome to be fair. Um, I think, Whoever the other players are that have come before us have um, left a pretty good legacy of putting their, you know their, nice. their, their, body on the line for the team, and so they've probably just, you know, allowed us to have that appreciation for the next guys that, that come in. You know, we've we've got a pretty good rep here, and La Rochelle, anyway, I'm not sure about other teams. I can't really speak to that.
0: Yeah, how's um, how's the conversation with Wifey to be like? All right, you're going to bail from all your mates. Pack up the bags, we're rolling. Like, like one hub's like, yeah, we're gonna be stacked. The other hub's like, What the fuck? <laughs> I can't speak French. <laughs> oh <laughs> How'd man, do oh, Yeah, no,
1: yeah, nah, don't worry about that. Like, we, you know, we looked at all the things, you know, you look up France on Google and then all these wine countries and all these other things that you can do, that, you know, the Eiffel Tower. And yeah, man, we came here with the worst tinted glasses on for sure. And then, um, I guess the reality of being here with a young family, and Amber was pregnant when we came over, so. Our baby, she came early, about five, six weeks early. So we are already like under the pump. Yeah, baby number two, five, six weeks early. So we're under the pump. And then we had obviously now got our third, but like realizing we didn't know at the time how much help we would be missing in terms of our families and, you know, our moms and all that work. Yeah.
0: Um, Especially Samoan mums. Oh, man. (laughs)
1: Don't worry, my mum. My mum uh, should almost get a french passport the amount of time she's so your, i
0: was gonna say like yeah i was gonna say she's stacking up those those frequent flyers man geez yeah but no well, that's, <laughs> that's the
1: thing man it's been so tough with COVID. like um with it, you know we were during the lockdowns in february march sort of thing um we were just trucking along just you know because it was summer it was getting into summer here too but um i feel like now that we've gone back to rugby the kids are back at school it's almost like a bit of a covert hangover it's only now that we're feeling a bit like damn you know, this is been a pretty big big change you know yeah. not being a family or whatnot so it's um yeah it's almost starting to hit now and not not ptsd but it's like man no, it's no, been no, tough no. With, just trying to keep in touch with everyone again
0: well the um how did you get into like a new so i'm in california we've been on i guess technical lockdown since march so we're kind of month six now still like the city's unopened a few things are sort of starting to but the the repetition of it's not mundaneness but it feels like it's groundhog to the t of to the exact time of everything everyone's just in this kind of weird sort of dream bubble of copy paste you know how's mm-hmm. the how's the and especially with three young guys and we're really, really fortunate we've got um like my wife's family's all you know within 10 minutes of each other there's, there's like 20 of them you know so it's like shit's, shit's tight which is which is awesome mm-hmm. but yeah I, i'm I imagining that this that forced um space confinement I don't, how, what was it like Were you able to go outside like how gnarly was the lockdown like could you take the kids to the park could you go for walks could you like was it bearable or was it pretty stuff yeah
1: oh no man look i am pretty blessed man like i've i've ended up in a place called Alderay, um which is just about 10 minutes out of La Rochelle. it's a little like a holiday island it's almost like living in i don't know like uh Waiheke. um oh, nice. so during the lockdown we were able to go for little walks um, we were pretty blocked in terms of our like little uh, villages, but because we've got like uh, vineyards behind us, beaches right here, and we've got a pool our mm-hmm. place, um, mate. Uh, lockdown for the kids was pure heaven, you know. Um, and that was part of the thing. Like we were loving life. I was at home uh, on reduced pay, obviously, but you know that's all good. Like we're we're pretty safe. We're well looked after, and um and then obviously now coming back to what is like you were saying a kind of a new normal, you know. Um, mm-hmm. it's it's. Been nice to get a bit more freedom, but it's almost—it's uh, almost like you want the whole pie, you know. not want you don't want to go halfway; you want to get the whole thing back. So, yeah, it's just adjusting. And the kids now—I'm um, back to school and all—they're pretty strict here. They started three years old, and um, my son's five, and he's got his own desk and bringing home homework. So I'm like, damn, Jeez. like going from they, running they, around. you doing in, it
0: right, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, we're playing uh, bull rush.
1: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so. Yeah, just trying to manage that because he's like i want to go to my cousins i want to go home i see they're having so much more fun at school and i'm like oh don't worry that's just they're not having that much fun it's fine son. yeah the
0: the 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 age of your children having three under five they don't even really know no like if it was eight ten twelve and they're literally not allowed to see their friends blah blah blah, they're very like you know they understand what's happening um Mm -hmm. you know in some weird way it's almost fortunate to have the younger bucks that will almost forget that remember the time they will just know. Hey, we hung out with mum and dad all day yeah. every day Yeah, four months
1: <laughs> yeah, they, it's funny that they, they, They're quite smart though eh? Like um, they know something's going on because obviously the everyone's wearing masks now and they they, they know the word coronavirus because it's freaking everywhere so it's just little things that, that I know that yeah. they can pick up, but uh, luckily they can um, Express their feelings a bit more around it. I guess
0: so so you'll be there what another what two two 2022, more years 2022
1: june i'll be um that's the end of yeah. my contract
0: and then that will be you, you feel that'll be it hang up the what's the average age of retirement for rugby is it kind of what 35 6 was that younger uh, or?
1: I think it's just getting older and older to be fair guys are looking after their bodies better i'd, I'd say from this level maybe 32 31 so I'm oh, already well. doing pretty well. Um we're doing oh, pretty geez. well. Jerome Kindle is doing free He's like 37, and he's just signed on for another year or two, maybe. Over in Toulouse, they're the French yeah. champion, so he's he's still trucking. Yeah, I yeah, think no, Ma anonus just and, come back to Toulon for injury Joker, so he's he's still doing it.
0: It's great, man. How do you um? Does your mindset shift at all from the headspace of what it was like being an All Black in 2015? for the goals there it does now in 2020 when you're not in new zealand wearing the black jersey how's your headspace as a player
1: um i think yeah like the goals that i had at that time obviously was just pushing my body to the absolute limit to try and you know be the best get a starting spot and if i could start then i could you know hopefully help to win this game or the world cup or whatever trophy we were playing for and i think um and the environment was the fact that we were representing the All Blacks was so much his- a team with so much history. Mm. Um, it was just something that bound us so, like, awesomely, like, both on the field and off the field. Like, there was something bigger than us, and it's something that really jelled us. Mm. Whereas here, yeah. I've just come, obviously now I'm 2020, a few years on, I'm more worried about trying to create an, an amazing environment that guys can really trust to be able to perform the way they want to perform. And like when I first got here, guys will be getting like, um, if they made one mistake, they'll be just getting absolutely rocketed and they'll be getting dropped and they won't even see them again and they'll be transferred to another club. You know, and that for Jeez. me, I couldn't understand that and I just, and now, you know, we've had a few coaching changes. We've got a couple of Kiwi guys who are now, now coaching us. We've got Jono Gibbs and Ronan O'Gara. Um, Ronan O'Gara is an Irish legend. And, um, Yeah, so they're they're trying to make a few changes uh, that are more aligned with what what I'm saying there. Um, I think the world has changed, especially post-COVID. My goals now are just making sure that we've got an environment that fosters uh, that trust. And just uh, I feel like that's the only way that we can, that's our point of difference. Because we haven't got the big, big bucks like some of the bigger clubs. But if Mm -hmm. we make a point of difference of actually uh, making families feel welcome and players feeling like they can express themselves you know that you know i would never have even been thinking too much about that when i was a lot younger whereas now um that's that's where i'm at
0: you're getting mature and woke dog you're gonna be one of these these (laughs) these rugby doggers just rolling around no it's good it's 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 good because those things make a difference you know especially when you know if the mentality is you know burn them and use them and flip them off if cu- they're shifting their whole lives and their families it's like this is like real life shit like yeah you yeah. can be have feelings about it but you need a safe environment mm-hmm. to, to genuinely do that or if you I guess if you dictate out of fear you're not really going to have longevity for for the the greatness of a club or or yeah. or a sport or for yourself right so mm-hmm. I guess it's more you know chess not checkers to think long game with how they set up structures to make the players and those involved feel more like part of it right
1: yeah, like um, I think it's always been rugby's always had I don't know like the clubs or the teams have always Had the upper hand and uh, so to speak and um, in terms of like look you either take this contract or no one else is gonna Take you, you know, or you know they can start treating guys a little bit, you know like shit really <laughs> And they get that their players just got to hope they, they land uh, on their two feet whereas now I think um as opposed to always being thinking about stakeholders and fans and stadiums, and it's getting a little bit more employer-driven, uh, employee-driven, sorry. Um, NBA, yeah. they've, got, they've got to look at, I think, I guess it might be business as well, but they've got to start looking in at how their staff are feeling and how the players are feeling and what they're wanting to prioritize in the weeks. You know, um, Whereas before, it was just like, you go do this promo, you go do that. I don't care if it's at 7.30 for when you're meant to put your kids to have dinner or we'll go to bed. It's now a lot more um, a lot more aware, I guess, of the challenges that employees go through. And I think COVID's obviously uh, working everyone up a little bit more to that.
0: Well, I think when you play a sport that's super passionate, those that are within it need to have a bit of empathy for, you know, the reality that these are just humans that do things, right? They're not flipping robots to just go and yeah. say, piss off, go do that, next, you know, it's not mm. so cut and dry. Um, and, mm. and the reality is the culture of an organization that, that, that lasts... Not the standard time, but you know it's relationship driven, not transactional driven. And I think that transition yeah. for many of those that are in it is is good, mate. It sounds mm-hmm. like you're about to buy a team over there, mate. You're going to be a little part owner or something, so, you know?
1: No, well, I would love to, but I haven't made anywhere near enough money. I probably need to play till I'm 55 before I <laughs> before I even do that. But um, no, nah, man, I just yeah, I think creating. A, that's where my new goals are. I think um, just creating a culture like you're talking about, and if anything, right now we're just talking about identity and just trying yeah. to figure out what that is for us, because we'll try to um, mimic a lot of other great teams, but you can do that for so long, but at some point you're going to have to find out what you're about and what's special to your region and that. So, mm. yeah, that'll be a good challenge going forward, I think.
0: So, in, I guess, New Zealand folklore, the the World Cup, so you guys won in what, no, 2015, right? Yeah. It was the big one, yeah. So that year, that moment, that 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 moment of all that momentum that was sort of happening and bubbling at the same time. How, how did, I guess Richie as a leader and for you've got a bunch of alpha dogs in there with ego and money and rare and nation Mm -hmm. and weight, how did he lead to navigate everyone's energy for that sustained period of time to get the results that you wanted? I'm just really intrigued of like how the approach strategically around leadership of men, When there's Mm -hmm. so many things across so many things, yeah. How how what did you feel during that year, that season?
1: I probably felt there was um. If I want to, I probably had to backtrack a little bit. 2011, which is when obviously we won the first one, and I think that was what allowed 2015 to happen because the monkey was finally off the back. Um, 2011 was real tense. We were at home. There was so much pressure to win, and if. Literally, if we didn't win that one, I think there was already a yeah. few guys that have booked the plane tickets and like moving companies to move out. And those are the coaches I'm talking about. And that's how big it was, you know. So for us to win that in 2015, it allowed us to have a little bit more of a wholesome perspective, I guess, on on how we needed to really release the pressure gauge a lot, a lot of times. Obviously, there's a lot of pressure, but it's, we're still human. You know, we're not just robots, like you said, that, that roll out. And one of the things that um the management and richie and the other leaders ran really well was you know we have like a club night on a tuesday so we you know we ground ourselves uh to the clubs that we first came through while we love the game you know you first go out to play with your cousins your mates whatever and we talk about those days but we share a beer you know like so instead of cranking the pressure gauge up from pool games quarters semis finals and there's no outlet every week you know we'll get together uh sure a few bevvies, maybe a few more as some guys are getting, but nothing ridiculous. But they just um, had an outlet there for the guys to realize that, you know, you've got to let it out. Otherwise, it's going to catch you when the big moments come, which um, I think was managed really well. And then, obviously, we weren't sweating the small stuff. You know, if guys guy's a little bit late or whatever, obviously, just... Keep it a bit more human about how we uh, how how they interacted with it, but obviously if it becomes a habit, not that it ever did, but it would go to the higher ups. But it never needed to get to that because everyone had so much understanding of the bigger goal uh, in mind.
0: Yeah, I f- I feel that the um the way that everyone was in sync was was special, you know. And there mm. are hundreds of th- th- millions of teams all over the world, and millions of different sports and whatever. Um, you know, when they keep talking about. New Zealand, All Blacks being, you know, one of the highest ring teams, blah, 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 I always think, you know, just the, the internal bits of leadership within it. Um, how much weight did you feel was from the legacy of what the All Blacks meant to what the talent of the team was? What, did it feel like you had additional superpowers for what came before you? Where did history and legacy build um, mentally for you in that season?
1: I think, like I said again, like mentally, we knew, with the monkey being off our back, that we could do it if we managed the mm. uh, certain situations well. And I think, like, the whole, the, the leaders were, were awesome. Like, we've got guys like uh, Richie, obviously, who's an on-field uh, maestro. And also just, you know, in training, like, everything he did, like, gym sessions, um, fitness sessions, anything like that. Like, fitness, he'd be way ahead, you know. Um, He's gym, my he'd just be full intensity all the time. And just leading from the front, you know, pulling us young bucks. Um, and then you've got guy like Kevin Mialamu who was uh, kind of like the sole leader of the team. So, you know, like anytime you were like missing family or just needed to have a bit of a decompress, you know, he'd be helping you to just put things in pers- into perspective, you know. Um then you got guys like Ma who was like a bit of a life of the party kind of guy, just real jovial, li- like to make a few laughs and he could make keep things light. Um, then you had, man, like, and then you had Desi who obviously was just a big, you know, this big legend and big, you know, um, I guess a big brand on his own. But, you know, he was just accessible all the time. He would always be like taking guys to freaking just chill out or whatever. So it's, mm. I think that the fact that those guys could um, carry so much, um, so much mana, I guess, as players and on the field, but then also still be accessible, I think it just made, it just, it just, and the, how hard they worked as well. And they proved it on the field. You know, as a rugby player, you've always just got to prove your worth on the field. And those guys mm. did it week in, week out. And so off the field, you know, the, the guys just jelled like, like no one's business because of those guys leading us the way they did.
0: Yeah, what what do you think is like the biggest thing the public never saw about the way Richie led that team of men?
1: Um, I guess probably just the little convers- probably the little conversations that he would have with uh, with guys. I guess because I was a loose forward, I managed to have a lot of those with him. Um, But then also just the amount of analysis and work that he puts in behind closed doors. I mean, guys could imagine it, but. You know, I think one computer session sums him up. Um, I was just sort of sitting there. Um, I came in for about half an hour, but he was already there for about half an hour before, I think. And he was just going through. There was no systematic way about how he was watching this certain game. And I was, like, just sort of checking. I was, like, trying to build up the courage to ask him what he was doing. And then I was like, uh, what, are, what are you looking for, bro? And he was just like, no, I'm just um, trying to find any instances where I'm walking in the game. <laughs> and, and, and then straight away, obviously, I'm thinking about myself walking like right behind him while he's running, and I'm just like, um, so I think that just gives you a bit of an indication as to the drive and the passion and just um, to, to the game, not, not only to the work that he did for the team, but for himself as well, you know, he was pretty tough on himself. Mm. Um, and if you can remember 2015 a lot of guys were talking about or oh, i think we lost to australia and a lot of the public you know these guys they were saying oh he's had it richie's had it you know even dan's washed no up, good anymore. Washed, up. Yeah. washed up and then man they killed it, and we you know the boys killed it in auckland when we came back and won their bled low and then yeah the rest is history so yeah. um yeah
0: i heard a st- i got told a story from it was a pretty reliable source and i've never actually i was going to no. ask um ali about it but I-, I haven't asked him yet i heard a story that when they would be away on tour, he'd get up in the middle, he'd have a room by himself, and then when everyone was sleeping, he'd get up by himself and go for a 10k run and then back to sleep, because then mentally he wanted to know in his head that while while his competitors were sleeping, he was working harder than them. Was that true?
1: Um, I, honestly, I don't know. I, well, Ali was in a lot longer than I was, so maybe in those days, but um, the only thing I can say was true, that he always got his own room. and. Actually, when I first made the All Blacks, he was my roommate, and um, I got to the hotel before him, and I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know which bed to choose. Eh? So I just went downstairs and waited for his flight to arrive for about an hour. And then he said, "Oh mate, your bags upstairs. concierge must have dropped them off." And I was like, "Oh yeah, cheers, bro." But <laughs> it was just like, you know, that's...
0: well, I I heard the only one that that knew was the head of security in Graham, and that was it. And it was probably, a it was a probably, it was bro. a mental thing, yeah. And I was like, "Jeez," but I okay, I'll, I'll ask this. You watched the last dance, uh, oh, could- yeah. yeah, bro. Who's he- Do you think Richie's headspace was similar to the, the mindset of, of winning or team, like him?
1: Uh, you mean what was he like? Was he like Jordan? Basically, is that what you're asking? <laughs>
0: Yeah, but but Jordan's obviously about him himself win at all costs. Richie seemed like it was weight of the team and others, but the mindset of winning and the way they approached it, was there any crossovers between yourself or other teams that you saw within that, those, that Bulls team? Because arguably if they were to do a last dance of rugby, it'd probably be the I don't know, the eleven or the fifteen team, right? But if it mm. was Trent Yeah, I,
1: I think um I think the way that um that Richie Richie was definitely different to Michael in, in, in the way that he was very aware of of how the team was feeling, and how certain guys needed to get propped up either by having a talk with Kevi or whatever. Um, he was always feeling for the vibe, um, and he, he was always very good at talking to the coach, probably something that maybe Michael did as well, um, talking to the coach if we needed a change or we needed to do something a little bit different, because um, I think he was his finger was very much on the pulse. Um, so yeah, his awareness for the team, but then also for himself, like he'd always, he, he'd put that responsibility on himself you know he wouldn't expect he wouldn't try to delegate he'll be trying to make sure that he drove that himself and if he did delegate something he'd always be checking in to make sure it was done in a certain mm. way so um yeah his, his awareness of the team but then also his self-drive um you know obviously second to none mm.
0: so, so now you you, you you sit here you've learned a bunch you've transitioned over you you're now in france you know to live in the and dream in many respects you, you're safe in your way you're close to wineries and a beach I mean life ain't too bad um when you fast forward 10 years and then you you know kids grow up and they also watch games and bits and pieces when you think about your own legacy within within the sport what type of dent do you think you've you've made or have hoped to have made within maybe fast forward 20 years you're a bit more washed up a bit fatter yeah. a bit balder but <laughs> when you think a legacy for you in the sport with like the dent that you've made how do you what do you what do you think of
1: Um, geez, what I hope to what I think I would have made or what I hope to have made?
0: You hope to have made?
1: Oh, I just you're not done yet, mate.
0: You just you got another (laughs) three years in,
1: (laughs) yeah. Um, oh, that's a good question, man. I think, um, just any of the any of the players that I would have played with or had a hand in, like there's some younger guys coming through now, um, and I still keep in touch with guys like Artie and that. Um, I just would like to think that I made a, a difference and helped them see things a little bit more from a different perspective, I guess, um, in terms of how important rugby is uh, as opposed, like when you compare it to like family and life and all the rest of it. um, Just keeping things in real perspective, because then you can, Mm. that's the only way you can enjoy your rugby, I feel. um, Because when it's too much, um, too much one way, everything's rugby, rugby, rugby. you actually don't do as well as you think. So Mm. yeah, that's what I hope I've left with, uh, with the guys that have come across me.
0: Do you think if you were playing with your 20 year old self now, you could, talk to yourself about self-awareness and balance at, at when you were twenty twenty two.
1: Only if it was me, obviously I would listen to, <laughs> but if it was, um, obviously cause I'd know he'd live my life, but, um, made if it was, if it was someone I don't know, um, it's funny, some things you just can't know until you, until you get there, you know, like I've, I've had a lot of people pass me some great messages when I was young, but, um, it's funny. I think back now I was like, you idiot, you know, like you should have listened and, that's why certain messages you try to pass over like a 20 year old who's just made the hurricanes or whatever, You're like, mate, try it. look after your money, don't blow your first paycheck. But you know what, they they're gonna like, you know, and, and that's not a bad thing. They gotta enjoy it. But it's um yeah, it's a tough one. But that's one, exactly so. th-
0: that's what I was I was wondering. How much of it is is mistakes that you should have known to how much of it is um naivety of youth when your head space is around that going for that goal which you've never get and i'm always yeah. interested where you know they say oh what would you tell yourself and this and that well you almost know at the time that you're doing dumb shit, but because you've got you're there to do that thing you are there to do just that thing. Long like long. nothing is in the flipping way like you're about to you know just you know roll yeah. out so on that how tough has it been to to grow up and manage money Especially from a, a cultural perspective, when it's a lot different with how you you know most you know um, Pacific mm. families look look after those and families around. Them. How have you navigated commerce with community and profit with 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 people and family? Like, how have you navigated that world of money as a pro athlete?
1: Oh man, as I was growing up, um, I guess when it first came upon me, like with uh, with Super Rugby, that's probably when the first bunch of money started coming in, and uh, that was when, back in 2009. Um, And I think I wasn't really managing it well, Um, like in terms of, I just, I would always be giving, but I was always angry about the giving. Um, I just, because I was doing it with little amounts when I was younger, you're obviously enabling people like my mom and that, which, you know what, like at the time I was quite angry, I was like, man, I need to look after me first so that I can look after you. Um, and to a certain degree th- that is true, but if anything, I've just learned now more to set boundaries with what I give And make sure I just give what I know I'm comfortable giving because I still want to be a community man I still see myself as a um, as someone that has to look out for people who weren't as lucky um, to get what I got You know and the opportunities that I've got but in terms of that I've just got to make sure I give what I what I can or what I feel comfortable giving um, how do
0: you, and, you and learn
1: how do Probably just a few just a few of my own bad experiences. Like just knowing I was getting frustrated at someone that I knew loved me so much in terms of you know, my mom. Like, my mom would never want to hurt me and yet she was still asking me. So it's not like she's purposefully trying to hurt me. There's just obviously something that I believed in and that she believed in that I really... Um, there, was some, there, was, there was just something not quite marrying up. So as soon as I put on the boundaries aspect of it and just saying, look, I'm going to give this you'd sort of teach people how to treat you uh, in that respect, you mm-hmm. know, because whether it was a hundred bucks or 300 bucks, they were just happy for whatever, you know, because back in the day you were giving them a hundred bucks, but just because you're an all black now, they're like, Oh, maybe 500, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and when, and because of my that, own yeah. ego, it was my own ego, you know, being like, yeah, I'm an all black now. I've got to give 500 or I've got to give a thousand flex on Whereas, them, Yeah. Yeah. But I think also having a, having a kid really put a full stop and being out being like, man, you're your own man now make your own decisions and your family will, you know, your family's not your family if they're not gonna understand that. So once I started getting my back up and getting a bit more confident about that, you know, there was there wasn't no problem, man. And um, I'll never, you know, I don't blame my mum or my dad for any of that stuff, that's how they've grown up, but it's up to us um, as the younger, the next generation, I guess, to, to set the boundaries as to how much, uh, or what that means anyway.
0: Well, it's tough too, because I mean, you know, in, in pro sports, it's just the, the classic, you know, young buck grows up without millions yeah. in the bank, signs mm-hmm. some deals, shit starts rolling, and then out of the flipping woodworks. It's cuzzies, it's bros, it's flipping thing. Like when you first started stacking, how how was that tsunami of gimme, gimme, gimme? How yep. heavy was that to come through? And and simultaneously on the other side, how was the team that was around you, was which is helping? safeguard your build that fortress how was the tension between bunch of crew wanting to take shit bunch of crew trying to save shit how how was that
1: i think um yeah so i i was lucky enough to have a team around me that's um that i really knew quite well and that knew my situation quite well and i mean culturally quite well mm. so um when if I went and met someone and I was like, oh, they were like, hi, oh, I'm Dave, an accountant or whatever, and um, and I would explain to them my situation, he was like, man, you got to stop doing that for your mum. My mind, like, my, I, I've stopped listening straight away because there's no way I can just stop because my mum is more important than me to, uh, to meet her money. my culture, yeah. It's, exactly, yeah, that's yeah, it's culture. exactly it. So, you know, slowly but surely, I ended up finding people who were like, well, okay, that's great that you're doing this for your family. Maybe just think that if you give this... Um, and put aside this we'll be able to do this later and you're like okay and that's when I started being able to have those conversations with my mom and they're like okay well that makes sense then and just people that were able to uh, incorporate the two I didn't think it was one or the other and luckily I was um, able to find people that helped me uh, do that.
0: It's such a big difference between and that's offset I've said to you say with an entrepreneurship and, and maoridom and culture you know, say within the entrepreneurial landscape, you know, 95% of um, uh, startups fail and within the the, the Maori world within business is like 5% maybe. So so to find mm. sort of successful young multi crew, you're like 1% of the 1% type scenario. But the weight of commerce or success or attention or no radio, whatever that, that thing is, it's a mm. different vibe when cultures around community and your people and your family and, and everything else around you Mm. yes you're an accountant but you're not an accountant for pacifica which has mm. almost its own set of rules then it is just a regular PL. so i think yep. you're exactly right finding that that understands the context of culture is insanely yep. massive because as soon as you can kind of crack that it feels like you can get into a safer space um financially because yep. the classic ones you just hear of is you know they mm. look after everyone except themselves dollars go out they just still keep trying to live the same flipping dream and next thing you know you know, they they might get injured. It happens in Snowboard all the time, then the, the dollars dry up and then all of a sudden they're sitting there like, shit, now I got nothing. Oh fuck. I got no retirement. Oh, I got no insurance. Oh, I got no yada yada yada. It's quite yeah. a it's a massive risk, but I I th- I think that for me anyway, it feels that the the tension that comes culturally from those that are professional anth- athletes from Pacifica mm-hmm. communities, there's a lot more untold, unspoken rules, which you can't even fight <laughs> you yep. know? yeah that's and i think tough, that's, um,
1: you know. that that's a massive part of um you know because i think church you know that's massive for us god is absolutely at the center of everything we do and um and like the denominations that i am like catholic i've got my dad's who's catholic and man like they're happy with the 50 cents or the five dollars that you put into the into the offering as it goes around whereas you know my mom's here which is um like more presbyterian you know sometimes they're up there and they're reading out the the amounts that people have given you know and um and it's just it's just um and I, I always knew that it was bad like and you know I was like something in me is listening going, man these families have barely got uh, barely got cars or even houses you know they are all renting and they're reading out giving 500 bucks every Sunday it's a little bit um and so obviously I, I started going away from it from the church and I was like man I don't believe in that that's bullshit but I wanted before I could critique it I needed to really understand it um, so that's why I've started taking on uh, my Samoan classes, not just the language because I can speak Samoan but just the history, the just everything and um, I'm starting to have a real understanding of how to attack it potentially if, you know, what we talked about when there's that conflict between saving something and giving something, um, I feel like I'm going to be able to one day, whatever role it is that I take up in the future, be able to speak to it with a lot more um, understanding and uh, with a lot more now, I guess, to speak to not just the olds, but then obviously the the younger ones as to how we can make it happen.
0: It just amplifies, um, yeah, culture and religion. They just TX mm. the the strategy that you actually need to sort of be sustainable within it. So you know, good on you for sending the having a crew around you that can get it because a lot of people don't. You know, I'm sure. You know, when you were in an all black without when you were, say in that peak in that circle. You're in the locker room. Is it just classic banter of like, "Oh yeah, bro, you're gonna jump in on this? Let's go. Let's start a bar. Oh yeah, mean, bro. Let's let's start let's start a rap label. Like, what was some of yep. the? How was the banter around money in those environments for those that potentially had some and then those that didn't have some?
1: So when I first when I first started up, um, guys kind of kept their cards close to the chest. Uh, they don't really talk too much about investment. Um, they kind of. Uh, they kind of just sort of kept their own context to themselves. You know, they weren't very open with like, so if you if you had a good banker or something, they'll be, I'll be like, oh man, I'm looking for a banker and I just need someone to help me out with this. Like, everyone will be like, oh, good luck, man. Like, <laughs> But luckily, luckily as the game changed, a few guys um started um, being a little bit more open with contracts and that kind of thing. And I, I, I 100% believe that that's the only way through is just that transparency with all the players, letting each other know what each other's doing, even like contracts. Um, I'm relatively open as well with some guys who want to know when they're negotiating what I'm on and how and what they should be looking at getting as a po- in comparison to another guys in a similar position, um, because that's the only way we keep guys like agents in that in the you know in the game is because we don't talk to each other. So I think um, the culture in rugby has definitely come a long way with guys being a lot more um, open with each other and it's helping in a big way, helping in a massive way. Yeah
0: it's 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 ironic that a that the bubbles that players will put around themselves to protect the person doesn't realize that they're going against someone who owns the whole platform who knows the flipping game and by keeping the players against each other it actually just helps the owners or helps the the commercial interests of those way at the top so there's plenty that don't get what they could get because they don't ask the question to those around them and the fact that you're talking about that there it's 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 really interesting that on the field we are brothers and then in finance, mm-hmm. who are you?
1: <laughs> yeah, man, big time. Um, and That's like, I, I, love, I love nothing more than telling everyone, you know, if there's, well, I mean, if a guy's asking or whatever, of course, I'll, I'll let him know what, what I know. And if there's someone that I know that will know more about it, then here, yeah, connect with him, talk with him. And it's funny because I've had to sort of just watch as some guys have really taken to it. Like, I've come to France and some other guys back home, man, they've taken these contacts and they're rolling, man, they're doing really, really well. And I'm just like, little, my ego inside is like, just relax. Just relax.
0: You're still worthy. You're right. it's the tension of that. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. interesting. There's, there's there's something in there, and I'm wondering, like, where is it? Because they've got talent for a profession, but then something that they don't know a lot about is their fear of of acting like the feeling like the dumb one for asking the dumb question that's not actually dumb but they don't know who to ask or who to talk to do you think it's a ego thing do you think it's a because there's something in that right like you there's there's something there
1: i think it's a balance between like it's here especially guys that are a a bit younger it's a balance between the ego thing of yeah you're this guy who's running around in the rugby screen you get reporter on you know like you're you're put on a pedestal especially these all blacks you know you put on a pedestal I don't want to, I don't want to go to a banker and look like an idiot. Like, I should be onto my shit, you know, like, um, I don't look like a fool. Um, cause it, yeah, just the, you, you've just got ego basically, man, yeah. just ego. And then, uh, on the other side too, they, they don't really want to go up because they feel like everyone's trying to take advantage of them. So, you know, it's, it's, it's that it's, it's, a big, it's a couple of things that they've got to break, um, you know, cause if you get really vulnerable, the guy, and then he takes advantage of you, you don't want to look like a fool. You it's know, the trusted um, piece. Yeah, there's no safe yeah. space. so that's why a lot of it is by reference. You know, when you talk to, and that's why I don't mind telling guys if I know someone, and, and I and I'm hard on those guys too. Like if I tell my banker, look, I'm sending over Tawera or someone, make sure he just yeah, he wants to know about this, look after him, please, because you know it's it's a people business. You know, um, where we are. Yeah, it's.
0: I I always I find that so interesting that the dynamics of, you know. Humans they don't they say this as much as they change they say the same with it But I think you're right that the ego piece kind of clouds your judgment and probably makes it Tougher to actually ask for the help that you need because you're gonna feel like oh, I don't know this sort of thing um, mm. So where do you what's your biggest concern in life right now? What are you most stressed about? You're in you're in France You're about to you got living to a and vineyard mm. Wife is happy got groms happy You know, can you speak French? What are you? What are you working on? What are you after?
1: No, I think, to be honest, I think just the day-to-day really is uh, not my biggest concern, but just making sure my children are, are well. You know, I think my, my boy, Carlos, he's, um comes back sometimes. It's just the little things, man. He comes back, and he's just not happy because he doesn't speak the greatest French, hasn't quite picked it up, and uh, he's getting a little bit bullied at school, and, you know, me as a dad, and I'm like, my Don't ego goes, that. man, just go that's, my, that's <laughs> my son, bro. Don't touch my son. And then I'm like, all right, you know what? Just go tell your teacher, you know, all the usual channels. And then like, and then what if that doesn't happen? I'm like, give him a, just tell him <laughs> next time. Well, love, like wanting to tell it to freaking just belt him. But I think it's <laughs> everyday, those everyday things. And then my boy Cruz, you know, he's just wetting his bed a little bit. So we're trying to move him out of that. Man, that's just dad stuff. You know, that's my hey, biggest one. Rugby, rugby's, um, rugby's rugby, man. I, I want to keep getting better. I've got, I've got goals in that too. But, um, you know, once I walk, walk out of that place. So I'm literally just worrying about my mum and dad back home and, and my family right here. So, yeah, that's my biggest concern right now. And I guess rugby's going to finish in a couple of years. So little things like stepping out of the box to speak to guys like yourself. Um, You're one of the big reasons why I even updated my LinkedIn. In fact, you're oh, the biggest <laughs> reason. No, like,
0: Oh, thanks, bro. <laughs> no, nah, nah,
1: honestly. Like, you know, I've got like this. Oh, I, I want to change it too because I've like got this thing building me up like double World Cup winner. Like, and I look back at it now, I'm like, far out there's too freaking but anyway it's um yeah so it's i'm starting to, to the future
0: bro. Right, ask me any time for any of that stuff i don't, I don't know I'm more than happy to help bro you know that it's it's, yeah. it's all well, i i think that it's it's important when you can see where it, what's going to happen get prepared mm. for those days and the lever i i think of it as like long game leverage of those relationships that you've built through your entire career when you finally then get to the spot where you, you wake up in 2025, 22, 23, whatever it is, and you don't need to put on the flipping and sprigs and shit. And then it's like, well, who are you and what are you doing? What's your impact then? And where do you go? And what's, what's who's in your circle? And, and just that whole, like your world will change. What will that look like? And what doors mm-hmm. could still be open and what opportunities can be there? So, you know, you laugh about that on the LinkedIn thing. I was like, nah, bro, you've got leverage and you've been to places that no one is like, I know fifty people in the world maybe have been to. That is like the, the the a huge asset to so many elsewhere because what you'll find as well in the outer world of whatever is there's a headspace that I've seen in ex SAS military CEOs and elite athletes which is the same and that's I can't put out. My finger on it, but you know, Monster's got, Ali's got it, Melody Robinson's got it, Anna Lawrence has got it. There's these, there's this, there's something in there, and yeah. that skill set of whatever it is mentally is one of the biggest assets in the real world for life after sport. Like, I, is it's unreal, man. So you know, you, you're positioning well for where you want to go, and I think it's super exciting because you can, you know, yes, it's day to day being a dad, but also the legacy that you've built is going to open up a lifetime, right? You know, you're not playing a ten-year yeah, game I'm, you're going I'm for a doing,
1: um, I guess understanding what LinkedIn's more about to be fair because like I, I don't even know what content to share you know whereas like uh, instagram which i don't even have at the moment or facebook you kind of just it's it's easy because it's family stuff it's day-to-day stuff you share or your new kicks or whatever but like linkedin i uh, i feel like i'm not going to just share what business stuff am i going to talk about you know <laughs> like i'm just you like you are the actually changing a bit in that regard i guess there's more leadership stuff and more wholesale. Yeah. Yeah, there's other stuff coming up there now, so I'm just, I guess I'm too perfectionist at the moment. I probably should just put something up there, but I just don't know what.
0: No, no, it's, get your way through I'm more than happy to help, but I know you've got your um, thing you've got a boost to next. Um, This has been cool, uh, man. I'm cool. sorry I don't know much about the the old egg ball. I'm sorry I don't know, I, don't, I haven't asked you if the, the the rugby shit don't know, but you've obviously done, you know it really well, so well done. <laughs> nah,
1: excuse me, man. Appreciate that.
0: <laughs> oh, no, it's awesome, brother. Um, and yeah, it's it's cool seeing you get into a, a different spot in a different world. Like shit, I bet when you were twenty, you would been you would not have thought in a decade's time you'd be hanging out in France. Jeez, that's crazy.
1: Nah, it's, um, man, I'm I'm very lucky, man. You know, I'm obviously missing family and whatnot, especially through COVID, all these weird times. But um, man, I'm pretty blessed. Though, you know, I've been pretty lucky with the the life I've had, and i uh, have jeez, I talk like I've bloody finished up, but. No, I'm pretty I'm pretty grateful for everything that's happened and i have ended up pretty well. So hopefully um things continue that way and yeah, we'll see where the where the road takes us.
0: Bro, mean. Uh we'll catch up for one of those Tuesday club club bevies sometime soon back in NZ. <coughs> I think we'll probably oh, more really chance in New Zealand Then, um or or maybe if you you'll be into your reds and stuff, getting all fancy with your with your French shit. We can we can smash <laughs> a few wines or a whiskey, whatever you need, That's fine. That's um, good. Man. Love, good. Lo, love your work, by the way. Thanks for the time, bro. I'll talk to you soon, eh? Cheers, Robert, man. Thanks each. Later, bro. See ya. What a flipping good bastard. Victor Vito, uh, joining us all the way from France uh, for today's uh, little session, a bit live. Uh, I will not lie, we've been – he's in France, which is, I believe now is 10 o'clock at night. We've just had a time zone change in New Zealand, and now it's 1 o'clock here in Pacific time. So it's been a little bit tricky to sort out the old calendars with, uh, you know, I've got – two daughters under three, he's got three three kids under five. We've got three different time zones, a bunch of stuff. And it was really cool just um, sort of hearing him out from a leadership side with uh, all the, the stuff that he's been through, where he's at now, in the journey. Good human, really cool. Um, and he's going to be up in his LinkedIn game, happy with that. Hope you enjoyed the episode, team. This was episode 257 now. We we did the counting of all the interviews we've done. This is now 257, so clearly I enjoy doing this. And I hope there is some value or insights or something from, from those um, that you've been watching or listening or whatever else to as well. So have a good day, team, and we'll see you all soon. Adios. I'll pl- I'll play some outro music, and I actually I'll just hit it with a, we'll just hit it with some claps. Adios, team.